Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Daniel Connolly and Dan Madigan. We've got a lot of great stuff to discuss today. Four different sports with big news that we want to talk about. Uh, for starters, the women's basketball got its season underway, opened up with an out-of-conference opponent, and played really the first game back in the Big East for UConn basketball. Uh, not to surprise anything for anyone, but they did win every game by quite a bit. But Connolly, what were your were your highlights from the first four uh, games that's kicked off women's basketball season? Yeah, you can't talk about this year's women's basketball team without first mentioning Paige Beckers. And obviously the most hyped recruit coming into the season, one of the most hyped recruits that we've seen in a while. And I know we're trying to temper expectations coming into the year, but just through four games, she's been absolutely incredible i think she's pretty easily been uconn's best player the from start to finish i don't know if she's necessarily been their best player in every single game but she's been really really good we've already seen that she's phenomenal on offense she has a great feel for running an offense and distributing the ball i don't think we've really seen how good she is passing until this past game against xavier when she had just this unbelievable pass where she threaded the needle to Kristen Williams and where I was sitting in the press box type setup at Gamble. It was right on line with the pass and she did not have a ton of daylight for it. Then she had this really fancy no look pass to Olivia Nelson Adota on a fast break. Then she can also show that she can shoot the ball. She's really good from three. She also has a really nice mid range game and has a really good feel for where the defense is and how to get into spaces and then what type of shot to take, whether it's pull up for a jumper send up a floater, go in for the layup, which is really impressive for a freshman. And as Gino said, there's nothing on offense that she doesn't feel comfortable doing. And for a freshman, that's really incredible. And she's also been really good rebounding the ball on the defensive end. And I don't think her on-ball one-on-one defense is particularly great yet, but she has shown some really quick hands and has gotten a lot of steals so far this season and has helped get UConn out on a quick break. So she hasn't been the only player to produce on offense. And I don't think she's running the offense on her own because both Anna Makara and Navina Westbrook both have a lot of assists too. So I get, think it's the three of them, but for someone who was already expecting a lot out of Paige Beckers, even with tempered expectations, I was kind of just blown away by how good she is so quickly. Yeah. I think Beckers is even better than advertised just at least to start. I think we all knew that she was going to be really good as a freshman, but Dan, I think you feel the same way as I did. I didn't think she was going to be this good right away. And I think it's the feel for the game that she has that's really so impressive. She looks like she's been playing college basketball for her whole life. Uh, she basically just plopped into the starting lineup day one and looked like a veteran out there. Um, kind of reminds me of how James Booknight plays on the men's side, where the feel for the game, even even if they aren't always the best player on the court, which I don't think that's been the case yet for Beckers, but um, – the way that they can play within themselves and within the flow of the game, there's no opportunity or, or there's no chance where Beckers will be forcing shots to, just to score points. All the points that she scores are within the flow of the game. And I think that's so hard to do. I know Brianna Stewart was really good at that during her time at UConn. Um, but that just shows that, you know, she's truly a generational talent. I've been really impressed with her. Uh, I've also been really impressed with Aaliyah Edwards, the other freshman who I think in any other year would have a lot of hype. Uh, but since Paige Beckers is coming, she's kind of been a little under the radar, um, was a little under the radar to myself, quite frankly, but 
She's a big physical presence. She has long arms, big wingspan, high motor. Uh, I've been really impressed with her ability in the post. Uh, I think she's a real factor on both ends, and she might force her way into the starting lineup at some point by the end of the year. Yeah, she's also been really, really good. And I was pretty high on her throughout the summer, just from what Gino had said about her on the coaches show, probably this time last year, somewhere around there. He said that the first time he saw her playing when he was on the recruiting trail, he just couldn't take her eyes off. He couldn't take his eyes off her because of how hard she played and how it was 100% the whole time. And I was looking through the stats the other day and it's only four games, so it's kind of taken with a grain of salt, but she's averaging double point digit points already. And I think what's most incredible about that is you see the physicality, you see how strong and just how hard she plays, but I don't think she looks, I mean, she looks good. There's no doubt about that, but she also, I think, still looks very, very raw. There's still a lot of her game that can be developed, even just this season, into being a more rounded and consistent player she's tried a couple deep jumpers that haven't gone in she's a little bit of prone to foul trouble in some games where she just tries to be a little too physical and ends up barreling people over and getting bad fouls against her so i'm very excited to see what she can do with more development and as she gets more minutes under her belt and more time to work with the coaches because she's already got a very very good base to work off and as Again, as Gino likes to say, hopefully every single time you see the freshmen play, that game that they play is going to be the worst you ever see them because they're just going to keep developing. So, yeah, Aaliyah Edwards is probably as good of a freshman player as they've had in a long time. And the fact that they have her and Paige and then all the other freshmen too because we haven't seen her the last two games because she has a foot injury, but Nika Mule I think has a lot of promise as a – backup point guard on this team she's from Croatia she had a really funny quote on Huskies All Access about how everything in America is a foul because she's used to being more physical in Europe and as much as it might be frustrating early in her career for that to happen where she might get a lot of fouls I think you just have to love that kind of intensity and physicality from someone as a freshman who's not afraid to get in there and get into the dirty areas of the court and just play hard. And then Mir McLean, who hasn't played a ton of minutes, but what she has been in has been pretty impressive. She is very, very similar to Aubrey Griffin in the way she plays just with how quick and how explosive she is just from this moment she steps on the court, she just goes and gets the ball. And I've even been pretty impressed with how rounded her offensive game seems. She's had a few plays where she's gotten the ball and made a move to get to the basket. And I don't think we necessarily saw that with Aubrey last year. So she's a very, very good off the bench type of player that I think right now is in Gino's doghouse because he's not super happy with her effort level at all times, but she's definitely going to play a pretty big factor in this year and is going to be a nice piece for them on the bench. So those four freshmen are just an incredible core for Gino and his staff to have for the next four years. Yeah. I, I think McLean is really interesting. I think she's a better like ball hawk rebounding type player than Griffin is right now, but Griffin's probably more well-rounded and, and has a little more experience. So I think that's, you know, something that, going to give her the edge to play over McLean for at least the next few games or maybe this season. And I think with Edwards, and I know, Dan, you were talking about this um, a few weeks back, but she's just a lot more physical than a lot of the other post players that UConn has had, you know, since you, the Tina Charles or, or even Steph Dolson 
um, towards the end of her career. But um, I think that's a really different look and a really unique look. And I think that's going to be a big deal when UConn plays some teams with bigger players like Baylor, South Carolina, um, any of those schools that have a lot of tall, talented post players. So I think it's really good to have a player like that, even if she's not going to be able to play 25, 30 minutes a game as a freshman. But um, players like Olivia Nelson Adota are great, but it's nice to have a different look, uh, you know, that Edwards provides. And, you know, she's an elite talent too. Yeah, I think you could say depth at the front court has been an area of weakness for them over the past few years. And like you said, especially hurt them against some of the better teams that they faced and some of the teams they really struggled with um, even during the winning streak. But I think what's clear is there is a really strong influx of talent uh, coming in that we can at least partially attribute to the move to the Big East. But either way, it's it's definitely good for the team. Um, as it relates to the Big East, though, how do we feel about, you know, what to expect from the level of competition there? Looked like some of those scores reminded me of our AAC days a little bit. Yeah, I think that was the thing that we kind of expected when UConn moved to the Big East for women's basketball is that it's better than the AAC, but it's still not anywhere close to what it used to be. But it's still a decent mid-major conference, and I think that just doesn't really matter for UConn because there's such a high level above all mid-major teams. You look back on their history, they never have any trouble with mid-majors. So even good mid-major teams don't give them any trouble. So I think that's kind of what we've seen. The only difference is, I guess the only competition, I guess you could say in the AAC for UConn was USF and then towards the end UCF. But None of those games were ever particularly close where you felt like, okay, UConn might actually lose this game. I think DePaul has definitely played enough games against UConn, even though they've never won, where there was a legitimate chance that you thought UConn could lose. <laughs> Madigan's pointing, he has the take every single year that it's going to be a trap game. One of these days, it probably will be. One day I'll be right. <laughs> You'll see. You guys will see. I'll be all over it. Don't worry. Like last year, DePaul got close to UConn at the end, and it felt like at times UConn could lose that game. Last year, the Seton Hall game was close for a little while. So you just get more competition on a given night where UConn could play its D game against most teams in the American, and at worst it would win by 15 or 20. If UConn plays a D game against, I'd say, the upper half of the Big East, I don't know if they'd necessarily be in trouble, but it's definitely going to be a tight game where someone's going to need to step up and uh, help UConn win. So I don't think we're necessarily going to see it in the wins and losses column a whole lot, but I think the margins of victory are going to be a lot closer. And yeah, I don't think Creighton, they beat pretty easily. I don't think Creighton's particularly good. Xavier, they dominated for the first quarter and Xavier had three wins last year. So it's definitely a step up, but Again, it's not the power conference that it used to be. It's not the power conference that the Big East women's basketball coaches want to say that it is. Maybe with UConn coming, it'll help elevate the league that never happened with the AAC. Only time will tell, but yeah, I'm not expecting much of a challenge for UConn out of the Big East teams. Understandable, yeah. So to to summarize, don't expect a loss anytime soon. And um, yeah, I guess we will just bully and make fun of the rest of the other teams until they hopefully take advantage of being in a conference with UConn, like you said, something the AAC failed to do. Um, but, you know, plausible that 
the Georgetowns, the Seton Halls, or whomevers of the world, it's, it's possible, um, maybe a little bit more in the Big East than in the AAC at least. For more on women's hoops, you can always check out our podcast dedicated specifically to the UConn women's basketball team, Chasing Perfection. Uh, that podcast is hosted by Daniel Connolly as well as Megan Gower, our tremendous basketball writer. Uh, so definitely check that out. As of the time that we are recording this, UConn men's hockey just wrapped up a game. It was a close one. Uh, the Husky season is also, uh, it's five games deep now after some ups and downs as we know it. Connolly, uh, what's the latest with the ice bus? So coming into this year, it was very clearly supposed to be the next step year for UConn, the year they were going to take the next leap in their program development from where I think they've pretty solidly established themselves as a middle tier hockey East program, because I guess it's three years ago. Now they finished in fifth place in hockey East had that big win streak the year after that was a rebuilding year. So they took a step back, but beat some good teams at the end of the year and showed what kind of talent they have last year. They finished in fifth place again, had an inconsistent year and could have finished higher, but you know, there's so many, only so much you can expect out of a team that had a lot of young players. We didn't get to see what they did in the hockey's playoffs, which I think was a disappointing end to the season, just because it really could have flipped the script on what the season was, but they're definitely progressing. And I think the really important thing to remember with UConn men's hockey is this is Mike Cavanaugh's eighth year, which is incredible to think about that. He's coming up on a decade being at UConn. It's their seventh year in hockey East, but Realistically, this is only UConn's fourth full season as, I guess what you'd say, a fully funded program. Because in the Atlantic hockey, they didn't have scholarships for hockey. That only came when they moved to Hockey East going into the 2014-15 season. So they go in that year and they have a huge freshman class of a ton of scholarship guys. And they kind of slowly build that up over the next four years. And that culminates with that fifth place finish in 2017 and 18. And then that huge first hockey East class graduates, they're gone. So then UConn has to hit the reset button. So this is really their first true build of an actual roster and being able to recruit hockey East guys the whole time and have uh, more balance in the roster. And I think the results are really showing the record may not necessarily indicate how good they are. They're one, three and one on the season, but all five games have come against ranked opponents. They have a win over number two BC and they outplayed BC for that game. It wasn't like, you know, UConn's first win over BC when they scored an early goal. And then you just sit back and Rob Nichols just pulls off some magical performance for the win. And a true ice bus scenario where they parked the bus. You kind of outplayed them. They earned a shootout win over UMass, who was picked to finish second in the conference. Tonight, as we're recording Monday night, they lost 2-1 to UMass Lowell, but it was a really close game. It honestly could have gone either way. And UMass Lowell just had a, I guess, a lucky play where the puck bounced their way. And that's how hockey goes. Some nights in a couple weeks, UConn's going to get that type of bounce and they're going to win a game that way. So I think they look really good this season, even if their record doesn't indicate it. And they're just fun to watch, especially tonight. 
they were just laying out UMass on pretty much every single opportunity. If you like watching a physical brand of hockey, UConn is one of the most physical college hockey teams I've seen having covered the sport for the last three years. So I think the wins are going to come, especially as they, I mean, they play again Wednesday and it's against UMass again, who's also ranked. So once they start getting into these games against not top tier opponents, I think their quality and their talent and just their style of play is really going to shine. And they're finally going to start getting those hockey East wins and moving up in the standings and just the record is going to start looking better for them. Yeah. I think it's important to point that you pointed out, uh, all of those games have been against ranked teams. And then on top of that, they've had the issue of the team shutdown, slowing them up or, or you know, slowing their progress across the season. So um, that certainly doesn't help. I think you, know, you mentioned they're, they're a fun team to watch. Uh, this year, luckily, we'll get a chance to see them a little bit more as well as they've got some games on Messin and streaming. Uh, so be sure to check out our more detailed coverage of the team on the UConn blog, as well as the UConn Hockey Hub, where there's more in-depth coverage and an additional podcast, because we don't have enough of those in the world. Uh, one for specifically focusing on UConn men's hockey, where we go deeper on that. Okay, so Ice Bus, uh, off to a decent start in the season. We are optimistic. Uh, something else that we are constantly heading to the well in order to try to find some optimism for is the UConn football program. I think we can all take pride in the fact that they chose not to play this season. We can all agree that we're very proud of the UConn Huskies and Randy Edsel for this decision uh, and, and what it might mean for the program. Uh, National Signing Day was last week, so uh, 14 new Huskies added to the program believe that about half of them will enroll mid-year. We're not going to go into the, the players themselves individually or talk about, uh, you know, anything about rankings or stuff like that. Um, congratulations to all of those, those new Huskies, and we hope they can develop into starting caliber football players within the next couple of years. Um, I think, again, independence is a really fresh new opportunity for the program one that is a welcome restart, even if you are uh, the most ardent supporter of the team. It's been a tough, tough run over these, these past few years, um, but the schedule looks good. We, we like the independent schedule. We, we look at what was in store for 2020. There was a season that looked decent. Uh, 2020, 2021 looks exciting, and they just added another bit of excitement to that by adding the uh, announcing the addition of Yale to the football schedule. Folks, how do we feel about our, our fierce in-state rivalry brewing with the Yaleys? I'm actually really excited for it. I think we can all kind of agree that we kind of were burnt out from UConn football the past few years. Just with, they've won six games in the last three years that just, really weighs on you when you have to cover every single game and you have to be tuned into every single game. So I think, as we've said before, this season kind of helped re-energize it. And in the past few weeks, I had noticed myself thinking, which just kind of feels wild in my own head that like, man, I really actually want some UConn football updates and not in a sarcastic way. I genuinely wanted some UConn football updates. I wanted to know what went on with the program during this 
non-season, I guess you could call it, and how they developed and what they did during that time and what it means. And I think we got a lot of that from Randy Etzel where he's finally saying he thinks they're bigger, faster, stronger, which was a huge, he didn't think they had that those last two years. Nobody else is getting bigger, faster, and stronger. So we are good, by the way. We're (laughs) good on that. Yeah, so I think just having Yale now on the schedule just kind of adds to that excitement for next year's UConn football season because we're all very pro UConn football independence. I know I've been pushing for UConn to play Yale. I was hoping that this would be at the Yale Bowl, which I know creates its own different set of problems, but I think one of the things that's fun about UConn, or not about UConn football, about college football, is playing local opponents and being able to travel to other games that aren't in Texas or Florida or wherever East Carolina is supposedly located. Whereas Yale, that's just a really quick trip up 91 to Rensselaer Field where I don't know what the crowd's going to look like, but I bet there will be a substantial amount of Yale people at that game. I think it's going to kind of bring some good attention back on UConn football, at least pregame. Once the game starts, I'm not making any guarantees there because I'm not going to make any bets about what UConn football looks like having not seen them in a year. But I think it's just another good game to add for independence. And I know it might not count until bowl eligible count to bowl eligibility, but at the same time, I don't necessarily care, especially in 2021. I don't know if they're going to be competing to even be in a bowl that year. So I'd rather see them play interesting opponents and local opponents and ones that have some history behind it. Even if they win the game and it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, I don't care. So I'm just excited to see what a kind of old school UConn football game looks like. And just also just have hopefully another winnable game on the schedule. Yeah, I think we can throw the the bowl eligibility out the window just because who knows if UConn will be at that level next year, but also who knows how this COVID stuff will shake out. And it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, there's two and eight teams going to the Papa John's Bowl next year, uh, you know, because they they lift the requirement again. Um, But no, I think this is a really cool rivalry. I think this is a no-brainer to to renew. This is the 50th time that UConn and Yale are going to play each other. And uh, from everything that I understand from my parents and, you know, people that went to UConn, uh, you know, in the 80s and 70s, the UConn-Yale game was like the game. That was, you know, the game that everyone circled on their calendar to go to. Uh, It was at the Yale Bowl, which is way cooler than Rensselaer Field. Uh, And and hopefully at some point we'll end up having a game back there. Um, But for now, I think this is the right step to renewing that rivalry. Um, The only thing is Yale also had this year off. So, little bit of a level playing field uh matchup but um last year or the last year that they played Yale was pretty darn good so I don't know if it's (laughs) I don't know if it's really a winnable game for UConn next year but um it's a great rivalry game that UConn should be playing every year as an independent regardless winnable is different than should win big air quotes on winnable (laughs) winnable in the sense of the long-term future like winnable five years from now you know it's like Hopefully that is winnable, Uh, but for 2021, we know that it is a a sliding definition for sure. But yeah, Yale is definitely decent. They have had a pretty competitive team in the Ivy League over the past couple of years, and we know that UConn 
has had its history of uh, really, really historic battles with FCS teams, uh, including even one loss uh, somewhat recently to Towson. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, to bring a in-state rival, uh, which not really something we are familiar with in the modern era for football, um, that one that has a lot of history with it, like you said, I think that's, that's great. And again, an example of the kind of things you can do with the flexibility um, afforded to a UConn. Maybe we, maybe we play them again late in a year or something like that uh, just, just because we can. And uh, that relationship is open, but um, yeah, I agree. You know, with respect to football, I mean, I do find myself wondering like, huh, who's going to be the starting quarterback next year? Is that um, Swaggy Z, Jack Zergiotis? Is it going to be Steven Krajewski? Uh, there's so many, you know, wild cards there. And, but they both seemed decently talented. Uh, so there is some interesting stuff around the team. It's, you know, I mean, we, we mentioned covering them or even just if you're watching them as an interested fan, it's been, it's been a tough ride. But there was some potential shown by, by those guys. Um, and then we were robbed of kind of that chance of seeing them develop. We do know that in 2019, despite the bad year that they had, we did see signs of improvement, right? They were not the worst defense in America or history. So there, there was some progress being made, but um, yeah, you know, hopefully Edsel, it seems like he's been getting good recruits, uh, you know, whether or not it's an improvement or whether or not the strength and conditioning program is an improvement over the previous regime or, you know, their uh, strategy offensively and defensively on the field is going to improve. Those all remain to be seen. Um, but I do, I do, uh, I do have my ears up for updates on them and for spring football to start and maybe we'll get a chance to see them. And um, also the, the, the resume of, tailgates at the rent which which we all know and love so yeah and i think just something that i look at when i didn't necessarily follow uconn football super closely when i guess you could say they were at their peak it just wasn't like my parents didn't follow it super closely so i wasn't completely tuned in even though i had a rough idea like i remember watching dave taggart kick the field goal to send him to the fiesta bowl in 2011 and being excited about that but it wasn't always super on my radar and when i watch a lot of the clips back of the good old days i guess you could call it those mid to late 2000s games at the rent where there's literally 40,000 people that have come out to watch uconn play football which is in today's age an unbelievable concept and just the energy that those crowds brought and how how much fun it looked like to watch UConn football. And even as we know how good when basketball, <laughs> God, what was that English? <laughs> and even though we, we see it to a certain degree with UConn basketball, I don't think it's really the same thing just because UConn basketball is just a completely separate entity. I don't think anything can match what UConn football is when it's good and the excitement that it brings and just the entire atmosphere of it. So as much as it would be better for UConn to even just be competitive, I think it would just be fun to have that sort of energy back around the program and have something like that in the state again. Yeah, I, I remember going to those Big East games. Like, I remember going to some great UConn Rutgers games. I remember going to the first game after Jasper Howard died. Um, 
And I just remember that energy inside the rent. And it, it was, it was like, it was a gamble or, or a packed, you know, civic center, Excel center. Like it was this, you know, that same energy of a lot of people just kind of buzzing for lack of a better term. And, and I, you know, haven't seen that at the rent anytime soon. I think the Houston game a few years back was the closest just because there was a little bit of a, a buzz going around. The crowd wasn't the same size, but that was probably the closest thing that I could remember recently, maybe the Michigan game too. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just, things are better when UConn is respectable at football. Um, and it'd be great to see the program back there again, because it sucks covering it right now when it's, when they're so bad and it just is a bummer, you know, like we, we all have ties to this, to the school in some way and we want to see them, uh, do well so hopefully they're on the step you know they're going in the right direction but we'll see what year what three of the randy etzel era year four of the randy etzel era has to bring we'll see yeah i mean etzel's gotten a lot of time i think the move to independence and all of the question marks that came with it bought him some extra time on top of a lot of other factors that bought him some extra time um including the bare bones contract with extensive bonuses that uh, we don't need to get into the great details of at this moment. But, um, you know, we know Randy Etzel has a lot of leeway here, but we are approaching the moment of needing returns. This, you know, there's a, a, a interpretation of this season off where, you know, Etzel just didn't want to put his team out there and and benefits from the fact that, they all just kind of didn't have to go through the the two and ten, you know, slammer they might have been about to have, and uh, in which case saved some. Uh, they saves they save face a little bit. They keep their confidence for another year, and then maybe they can build something up. But um, you know, we'll 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 find our optimism by August of next year. I'm sure the hype train, the, the gains, we're going to find out about some big weight gains and some body fat percentage losses uh, that we're going to be very excited about. Uh, we're going to see some players get haircuts because you know that they're taking it seriously. Um, you're going to see backup linebackers that we know are going to be better. Everyone just slides in and fills in the role needed for them in a new year. Um, and we'll be excited for UConn football. Everything will either stay the same or get better. We know this. We know this. That's how the offseason works, and we'll talk ourselves into it by then, I'm sure. We do not – well, anyway, there was – there still is the matter, you know, of the all the transfers that left last year. Uh, which <laughs> just kind of – still might just got swept under the rug, yeah. We're just kind of like glossing through, right? We're just – and again, hey – Oh, oh, can't have a season after 25 guys uh, transferred out. Maybe we don't want to play. I listened to the players. I chose to listen to the players, Randy Edsel said. Um, but anyway, we are not making those accusations seriously. Um, but there is, there is a lot of benefit to a lot of people's morale by, by UConn football not having a season this year. And um, hopefully it pays off. But, but to, to put the final point on it, we still do want to see some improvement in 2021. We still uh, deserve to have some form of expectations, I think, as it, as it rolls into next fall. Right. And I think the expectation levels are very, very low. I would honestly, 
a four and eight season where I think they compete pretty well throughout most of the year is completely acceptable because I know everyone can point to Edsel's, what is it? Six and 30 record since he's come back from to UConn in three years and kind of just like, I mean, it, it, it speaks for itself in some regard, but at the same time, I do like Benedict's move to give him a very long leash because as he said, a lot of times, I don't think any coach can come in here and turn it around in three years or less. I think it is a very, very long rebuild that's ahead of them. And I don't necessarily know that Edsel is the guy for it, but I think he does deserve a long time to show that he either is or isn't because especially just as we see throughout the sport, athletic directors are so trigger happy to fire coaches and I think UConn actually is doing a very good job. Even if it doesn't work out, I don't think you can say it was a bad decision to give Edsel this much time because the returns just aren't going to be there after even two years. We, like Aman said, we saw them a little bit after three years, and I guess year four we weren't able to see anything. So, yeah, year five, there needs to definitely be a significant amount of improvement, and I don't necessarily care if that's in the record, just – if the football's better on the field, that's the most important thing to me. Yeah, I think the long leash is totally warranted. There's there's a commitment from all the way at the top down that UConn's going to play, you know, FBS football. So it doesn't really matter if Randy Etzel is a coach or not. And, you know, it's not like there's people lining up to take this position like, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead or uh, Rhett Lashley isn't saying, you know, their dream job is to come back to Connecticut and and take the reins of this program. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of time to see what Etzel has in the second stint. Uh, hopefully year five is better than anything else that we've had. Moving on to the UConn men's basketball team, the Huskies are coming off of their first game in Big East action. We were all very excited, even though we didn't have a chance to be there. Uh, the Huskies hosted number nine Creighton in Gamble Pavilion, and it was a um, okay performance. Uh, it was their first game in 17 days. There was no Tyler Polly. Uh, the Huskies had what looked like enough to hold on to a lead at the end, uh, but en- Creighton ended up tying the game with seconds remaining and then took control in overtime. Uh, 76-74 loss for the Huskies. 40 points from James Booknight, who I'm being told by multiple analysts is good at basketball uh seems like he's really taken to heart the leadership role that UConn needs to take from him um again 17 day layoff for the Huskies didn't have Tyler Pauly by the way but um they had they had to shut down the team because uh team operations because of a COVID test they had a game before that canceled because of a positive test on the other team so this is our first time seeing them since that win over USC. Uh, it's the Huskies' first loss of the season. They're now at 3-1. and one. Um, How do we feel after, uh, after this first, uh, most recent chance to see the Huskies? First off, it just felt good to see the UConn Big East, UConn versus Creighton matchup. 12 o'clock rolls around. You get the round ball rock pumping in the living room. You know, I had chills down my spine. It was just good to, you know, We've been talking about this day since we were running around like crazy 
when it found out UConn was in the Big East and it was the one day in the last six years that none of us were near a computer running around like chicken with our heads cut off. But um, I, I really thought, given the circumstances, I thought this was the best game that they played all season. Um, they definitely need more from a second scorer, whether that's going to be Isaiah Whaley or Josh Carlton or RJ Cole consistently. But when you have the best player on the court at any given time, which UConn did in James Booknight, and it's like the women have with, with Paige Beckers, you're going to be able to compete with anyone, even if the rest of the team isn't going. And that's something that the men's team just really hasn't had um, in a long time. Even with Shabazz and Kemba, obviously they were great players. Uh, and, you know, they're some of the, the greatest UConn players of all time. But in terms of individual talent, they weren't necessarily the best players on the floor. So uh, Book Knight's an incredible player. UConn Hurley needs to ride him and, and, and see where he can take us for a lot of games this season, especially against an elite team like Creighton. Um, I, I thought they were – Creighton was really good. I thought RJ Cole's defense on Marcus Zagorowski was phenomenal. Um, I think that's something that's been overlooked a little bit, given how the end of the game kind of shook out. But Zagorowski is one of the best players in the country. He's, he's a borderline All-American candidate, one of the best point guards in the conference. And Cole forced him to five turnovers and just three assists. And he only had 11 points. I think he had most of that in the second half. So I was really impressed with that performance. I think that's a sign of things to come. But I think that the foul trouble and the injuries just kind of and combined with the 17 day layoff. It was just too much on that last play there uh, where Creighton scored to tie things up in regulation. It was basically just a clear out and they passed the ball to Damian Jefferson in the post who had like three inches and 40 or 50 pounds on Jalen Gaffney in a normal game. That's Tyler Polly, Isaiah Whaley, or a cook, a cook. If, if he's able to come back, that's guarding Damian Jefferson. And that's a totally different offensive possession if UConn doesn't have to just throw out the next warm body out there. So overall, it, it's a tough loss. They definitely had it. Uh, they could have won that game. There was multiple opportunities for them to pull away, even in overtime to win that game, and they weren't able to. But given the circumstances with such a long layoff, it's hard not to be impressed with how this team did. Right. To me, that game felt a lot like those early season losses last year where you could tell that UConn was just as good as them and they just didn't make the two or three plays they needed to in order to get the win at the end. Like the Xavier game, the Indiana game. I'm sure there's another one that I'm missing that I can't think of, but like there were so many of those games last year against top 25 teams that they just couldn't win. And then they finally started to win those at the end of the year. So I think it's a really good sign that they can hang with number nine Creighton, especially without Polly. And I guess to a certain degree, a cook, although we were planning to be without him. And also if there's 10,000 people in Gamble, I feel pretty good that UConn wins that game. That was the thing that kept hitting me throughout that all 40 minutes was that, wow, Gamble would just be losing its mind at this point in the game. When book night goes up and, makes one of his 50 just incredible shots to keep UConn close. The roof would have come down in that game. And I think UConn probably would have had the edge that they needed to, to win that game. So I think that's just kind of a disappointing factor that hasn't quite like, obviously we've wanted to be at these games all season long, but I don't think there were going to be people dying to, 
go see UConn play Hartford or Central, and the crowd wasn't going to be electric like it would have been against Creighton. Creighton, which is pretty incredible to say. So yeah, it was a disappointing way to lose, especially with the way that it went down, how close they were. But at the same time, it's good progress. And I think the biggest concern I have going forward is just, I don't really know who else scores besides Booknight. And as incredible as he was, I think the stat was he had the most points ever by a UConn player at Gamble. And then he also had the most or the second most points by a UConn player in the, in a big East game behind Daniel Marshall, who scored 42 against someone I can't remember, which is an unbelievable stat. That's absolutely a top tier performance that I think we've ever seen from a UConn player. So it's disappointing to not get the win in that regard too. I'm just not super sure who else scores on this team. I don't feel really confident anyone else. You look at the lineup, there's obviously book night, RJ Cole. I think we've seen some bits and flashes of him on offense. Then there was Tyrese Martin, who again, I really like him as a role player. I don't know how many points he's necessarily going to score for UConn. Isaiah Whaley, same thing. Really good player. I don't it maybe you can get 10, 12, 13, maybe 15 points out of him, but I don't think you're going to be going to him as a consistent offensive option. He's going to get what the defense gives to him. And same thing with Josh Carlton. I don't think he's really proven that he can just go and score at will down low, especially against some of the better bigs. I just don't really know where the offense is going to come from besides book night. And maybe this is just going to be a team that has book night and a bunch of other guys are going to contribute alongside him because really they could have won that game without there being someone else besides book night, even though they did need a phenomenal performance from him. So that's, I think just my biggest concern is where does the offense come from? Especially is this team just, not going to have a chance if book Knight has an off night and he only has 12, 13 points. That's a little concerning to me. So definitely a positive performance, but I still have a lot of questions about the team. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that is it's going to have to be a by committee thing and, and hopefully some guys can be uh, appearing in that rotation as the second highest scorer more often than not. I think we're looking at probably Cole Gaffney, and Polly, uh, obviously Polly was not there, but you know, I think I think those are the three who maybe are looking at. And then Brendan Adams to some extent, uh, and Tyrese Martin can also uh, fill in. And then you know, we've seen some offensive promise from Adama Sonogo, but you're right, you know, Carlton certainly is not that. But um, when you think about the game as a whole and and the course of how the competition went we have to also just remember that in the first half, they were down by 12. Uh, this was really close to becoming a laugher uh, until book Knight did what he did. Some other guys made some plays too. Um, you know, I think, I think what Tyrese Martin brought to the table uh, brought a lot. There were bits and pieces from Carlton and Sonogo that, and Whaley that were helpful um, at different times. Just going to have to see, um, you know, who steps up, who learns, um, who, who continues to develop over the course of the season. Overall, you have to be happy just knowing that the team has strong depth. They're playing well. They're playing high-level competition really well. And, and that's super promising for UConn at this time. Um, you know, to talk about hopping on at noon and hearing the round ball rock, I mean, it, it's been discussed on, on Twitter, but 
just the FS1 coverage as a whole is, is really well done. You know, the halftime show talks about this game and not the college football playoff, you know, it's, it's a in-studio show in the middle of this game and not, you know, some pre-recorded bit that goes into 25 other basketball games that, that the family, other family of networks is playing at halftime. So, um, you know, I like the announcer. I like Steve Lavin. I think he's good. I, and I usually don't even care about announcers names uh, or think about them much, but I was like, Oh, this guy, he's pretty good. Um, so just side note on that. That's nice. Good, good new thing about the league. Um, but as, as far as the team, you, you have, have got to be really confident in the way they've performed as it relates to RJ Cole. I mean, you know, for people who want to criticize him, him personally, say he doesn't belong in the lineup on the team, what have you. I mean, could not be further from the truth. You're both, you know, you're both wrong, but also just incorrectly analyzing basketball. Uh, the, the end of that game, UConn was, the, whatever the opposite of a clinic is, that's what UConn's offense was uh, for the final five minutes of that game. I don't even know. They must have scored three points in that final stretch as they, as they clung on to the lead. Yes, RJ Cole missed two free throws. That would have been the most likely the go-ahead points. He did not look great offensively. He had a poor shooting performance. Um, if you were excited for him to come here uh, to UConn, and then you choose to renege on that. You choose to turn on him four games into the weirdest season ever after his transfer year. I mean, again, you are dumb as rocks, but you're also kind of an asshole. Uh, so the, the people saying that stuff online, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. It reflects poorly on UConn as a fan base. Players see that. Coaches see that. Recruits see that. Um, it's, it's just again, it's, it's wrong on so many levels. Uh, and again, incorrect, does not need to happen. RJ Cole apologized on Twitter. He had, did not even need to do that. He did not owe UConn fans anything, but clearly he felt, um, you know, something, something needed to be said. I think you have to understand he's making an adjustment. It's not the high school to college adjustment, but it's definitely um, a major leap in the level of competition on a regular basis and you know for him to be immediately contributing defensively and also still working on it offensively which is again something that happens as part of a team and not any one individual um, that's something that's going to take time he didn't have a full off season he didn't have a normal time to prepare um, I, I cannot emphasize enough how much you know the the circumstances have got to play a role here but He's a decent basketball player. He's a great kid. He's, he seems like he does the right things. He was coached by Dan Hurley's father in high school. So I'm sure they, they knew everything they needed to know about him. Um, you got to just, just give him more time. And, and again, to see that people would say he doesn't belong in the team, doesn't belong in the lineup, you're, you're way off um, on many levels. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, if you can look past the shooting performance, which I think you can really chalk up to just having, uh, you know, this long layoff. And I think that was the biggest cause to UConn going cold in the, in the final few minutes of regulation and not one specific player. It's just when you're going a week without practicing, it's going to catch up to you at some point and you can, you can run on adrenaline for most of the game, but at some point it's going to catch up to you. I, and I really think that's all it was, but 
I think Cole's defense on Zagorowski just can't be overlooked. And, and I know he didn't necessarily do much on the offensive end um, against Creighton, but we've, we've seen the numbers. He, what he, what he put up at, right. And we saw what he put up at Howard, right? Like we know he can score. We're not worried. I don't think anyone was questioning his ability to score the basketball. I, I was a little worried about what his defensive ability would be like. And I thought uh, that's why Jalen Gaffney would have the edge, but, Hurley is going to roll with Cole because he's a legit stopper. He, he's kind of like a alter Gilbert, Christian Vital type defensive player uh, for, for on-ball defense. And that's a huge deal, especially when you're going against a bunch of teams in the Big East that have elite point guards. And Zegarowski might be the very best one, maybe one of the best ones that the conference has seen in, in years. And more turnovers and assists, only a handful of points, 11 or 12 points, um, was clearly uncomfortable the entire game. They, they kept cutting to Zagorowski in, you know, in the corner, posted up, and he, you could tell that he was just agitated by Cole. So I think that speaks volumes as to how Cole is as a player, and I think the shooting is going to come. I think that is a big adjustment, too, because he was the alpha dog at Howard. He was literally one of the most prolific scorers in the country, and now he is definitely not. I mean, James Booknight scored 40 points. So um, – it's going to take time to adjust to that. I didn't think a lot of the shots were, were terrible. I think, you know, they were in rhythm. There were, there were some early shots in the shot clock, but he'll adjust. He, he seems like a coachable player, and I know Hurley is going to work with him and, and kind of mold him into that second score because I, I think he's really the key to this team. I think with the way Book Knight's playing, it's clear that he's probably going to be consistent night in and night out. And if Cole can chip in, you know, 15 points or 10 points and a few assists every game, that's going to open up things for everybody, whether it's, you know, threes for Adams or Polly or easy layups for, for Whaley or Sonogo or Carlton Delmo. So I think RJ Cole's the key to this team. And I think it's way too early to give up on him. Like you said, Amon, there's so much basketball left to be played in this weird COVID season. So uh, I think it's just going to take some time and he'll be helping us out a lot more than he would hurt us. Right. And I think, it's one thing to be frustrated at the missed free throws, but then like Amon said, they didn't do anything on offense the entire time leading up to that to build up their lead. And then in overtime, they just completely laid an egg. They could have easily gone into overtime and made the free throws, not even an issue. And I mean, I guess the free throws weren't an issue because they didn't even compete in overtime. Creighton pretty much ran away with it in the last five minutes of that. So yeah, I, it's your prerogative to blame RJ Cole for the loss, but they're probably not in that position if RJ Cole's not on the floor. So it's, it's just a disappointing way to lose. And to go back to last year, it feels similar to the way that people kind of jumped on Alteric Gilbert last year for some of his performances in those tight losses. So I think it's definitely not a great look by any means, but yeah, RJ Cole, I think we've seen already pretty clearly is a very key player for this team defensively. I still think he's probably our best bet to be point guard, even though I am a fan of Jalen Gaffney. He's got that experience. He clearly plays like a veteran and we haven't seen this team a whole lot when they have had some consistent games under their belt and have not had a shutdown. I think from what we've seen from women's basketball, as an example, is they've played four games in a row in pretty quick succession and they look a lot better each time they play. We haven't had a ton of that for men's basketball. There are the first three games, but I think 
what I think about when I've watched this team is have any of these performances made you go, wow, they look really good doing X, Y, Z. I don't know if they've really wowed me in any of these games. And I don't think that's a bad thing because they've played well in all of them, but I think there's still a long way for this team to go just in terms of its cohesiveness and kind of rounding off all its edges because it's been such a tough buildup for them as tough as anyone's probably had it in the country with just where their shutdowns have been placed. So if they can just get a consistent time on the court and playing games and just get that experience and under their belt, I think they could look like a very, very different team by January 21st than they do today. Yeah, I've been excited by what we've seen out of them in transition. So when they start to get some guys going and um, all those different ball handlers they have, um, I I think that's been really exciting. Of course, they're going to level up a little when Polly returns, when a cook, a cook returns. I mean, you know, it's, it's a completely different roster. And all of a sudden, holy crap, are we like actually talking about a a very good team potentially? Because um, again, to, to have competed well under the circumstances against the number nine team, you know, that's good. That's, that's really it. There's not much more to, to discuss about that. Um, but yeah, we definitely want to see them play a lot smarter offensively. I think that's probably the huge, huge gap in terms of what we might expect from a, a high caliber team, hopefully something they can clean up. Um, just to add one more point to the RJ Cole discussion, in case you're concerned that it's only, you know, uh, Twitter folks that are uh, holding these bad opinions, there was a professional journalist who decided to tweet out that this loss can be pinned on RJ Cole. Uh, We will not name names because we are not that kind of podcast, but uh, there are people in the sports and across the sports world who feel this way. Uh, We're not just kind of arguing with Twitter eggs here. Um, It's it's a pervasive thing, but at any rate, you have to be... uh, Overall, feel really promising about where the team is. They're still ranked in, in the mid-40s in Ken Palm. Uh, next, game up will be, uh, next game up will be December 30th at DePaul. Uh, sorry, not at DePaul, against DePaul. And uh, we will, I mean, DePaul's not very good, but hopefully we see a, uh, another improved performance from the Huskies and uh, – most importantly, they get some more practice in, time to build, and again, power up for the start of the season. I know a Cook's, a Cook's return timetable was hindered by the stop uh, stoppage as well for the team, so uh, would be interested to know what, what that timeline looks like for him as well in the future. Yeah, and Aman, I know at least now that the team is out of their 14-day quarantine period, they're going to be practicing routinely, I imagine, or, or as normally as they can under NCA guides, bylaws, uh, bylaws, all that, all that good stuff. But uh, their December twenty third game, which I can't remember was either home for DePaul or at DePaul, was postponed because the Connecticut Department of Public Health doesn't want UConn playing teams that are still within fourteen days of their COVID window. So um, it's a bummer that UConn can't get the men's team can't get in that rhythm like you were talking about, Dan. But I think being able to practice routinely even for more than a week is going to be a huge advantage too. So I'm excited to see how they look against Dave Lato and DePaul on the 30th, but it does suck that we have to go 10 days without the men's 
team after a really exciting game, even though it was, you know, a tough loss. That was one of the most exciting men's games that there's been in a while. At least from my perspective, those really good AAC games, I guess most of them were last year and the year before that, but those always never really got, those never really got to the level of like a classic big East game where you're, I, I hate to use these metaphors of it's a war, it's a battle because it's obviously not, but like just the toughness and the intensity of it. I don't think there is ever the level of intensity that there was in the big in that there is in the big East in the AAC. Like I think of the Cincinnati game last year or the Houston game, obviously very exciting games came down to the wire, but I don't think the two teams were attempting to rip their throats out. Like there's just a different level of the big East. And I think we really saw that against Creighton. Yeah, you know, there's a saying that we have in the Big East, it just means more. And uh, that reflects on how we approach basketball games. Nobody else uses that, actually. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think it's great. The excitement around the program is back, right? We can never understate or underestimate or, or not appreciate um, just how, ex- how much there is infinitely more excitement around this team and this program. Um, you know, I, speaking of professional journalists, I am reminded of a tweet from another another professional journalist uh, asking out loud if we'd be excited about a matchup against Creighton in January. And I guess we did not recreate the exact um, circumstances of that hypothetical scenario, but I do think we got a pretty resounding answer to that. That was one of the most exciting games of the season for a lot of college basketball, right? We had the college basketball world tweeting about how great this game was, talking about it on uh, ESPN, Fox, what have you. And that's another thing you don't have in the American is just a level of relevance around your games and when you have good ones that um, is awesome and it feels right. So I feel good. Whenever the next game with fans against a Big East team is in Gamble, whether it's next season, whether it's 2022, (laughs) that's just going to be – I don't know if Gamble Pavilion will ever be louder than that game is going to be. It better be a good game, not some crappy, like, DePaul game. Gamble is not ready for what's about to happen. It may not structurally survive, quite literally. Um, The sad thing is, uh, as as James Booknight keeps racking up uh, outstanding performance after outstanding performance, uh, we can continue to be really confident that this is his last year in stores. And so, unfortunately, he will be writing out his final season without fans in the stands, which is uh, super unfortunate because of the dunks that will not be cheered on by 10,000 people, unfortunately. Coming up next, we have an interview with Kevin Solomon from the Husky Ticket Project. For those of you who may not be familiar, the Husky Ticket Project is a great nonprofit organization that brings kids to Yukon Husky Games We had a chance to speak with Kevin about how the organization was founded, as well as what they're up to now during this season where there are no fans in the stands. I really enjoyed the conversation and hope you'll enjoy listening to it. All right, Husky fans, we are thrilled to be joined here by Kevin Solomon. He's the co-founder of the Husky Ticket Project, a really great organization that lets people attend UConn Husky Games. We're going to hear about the story of his organization and what they're doing right now. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Mom, thanks for having me on. We are very excited to be able to talk to you today. 
Awesome. Well, so to start, you know, why don't you tell us um, how did you guys, it's, it's you and two other co-founders. How did you guys come up with this idea? And then, um, you know, how did you go about making it a reality? Yeah. So in 2018, the spring of 2018, uh, Kevin Kordsep, one of our other co-founders came to me and, you know, we, we were at a time where all the UConn, uh, we were, we were in the American Athletic Conference. We're looking at games on TV. Uh, we're seeing empty seats everywhere. We are from New York City um, and we live in the city. So we're, we're looking at these games from you know about a two and a half hour commute away, knowing that we can't get up there as frequently as we'd like, but knowing that we could do something and knowing that there's plenty of, of people, young grads just like us who are in that same position, right? Like we would love to get up to campus. We'd love to get up to the rent as much as we can, but the reality of it is, you know, it's, it's a hike. So uh, we came up with this idea where we decided what can we do to get fans in seats, but at the same time help the community. And after a couple brainstorming sessions um, and after we brought in our, our other co-founder, Jeremy Longobardi on board, we came up with the idea for Husky Ticket Project, which was to source donations from alumni and, and, the, and, and the Connecticut community and partner with youth organizations that are prevalent in in Connecticut and get them to go to UConn games. Um, and we've partnered with about 20 different organizations so far in the in the almost three years that we've been doing this. And there, there's some really great organizations. We've, we've partnered with, with organizations like Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, Boys and Girls Club, PAL, mm -hmm. um, the Kennelly School in Hartford, some, some really great organizations that are doing some really good things for, for kids. And um, it, it's just been a pleasure to be able to work with them. and, and and also fill seats for, for UConn games. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, it's really amazing. It's such a good idea and, um, you know, great to be bringing that amazing experience to people who may not otherwise be able to. So I think that's, that's really, really incredible. Um, how did you go about, you know, creating that, that model specifically of, you know, sourcing the donations and then realizing, you know, you need to maybe partner with other organizations to, on the service end of it, you know, how did you, how did you build that out? Well, we weren't sure. I mean, we knew just from, from polling some, some friends and some other people that we know that there would be some interest, but we weren't sure how big of, of the interest that we would get. Um, and our first year, our goal was to raise $3,000. And I think we raised close to $8,000 just from social media outreach, um, some email marketing, some really simple, uh, base level stuff. And the, it was just overwhelming how, how much interest we got from, from people who wanted to help. And we were able to send, uh, I think, 800 kids to football games in that first fall, which was way above our expectations of anything that we could have imagined. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just been building from there. You know, I think social media has been our biggest tool. Obviously, we know you on Twitter is, is very active and um, <laughs> we have a very passionate fan you know, up until we were in the Big East, we had a, you know, a little bit more difficulty filling seats and, and people recognize that, that, you know, a toll center two lane on a Tuesday or Wednesday uh, in the XL center is not going to be the pull that, um, you know, a Villanova or, or a Georgetown or, or a Craig's can be. So um, there hopefully won't be as big of a need for us in the coming years, but <laughs> we know that there is a spot for it. And we yeah. know that, um, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that those games are sold out and we have kids in those seats. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, there's still be plenty of opportunities, uh, hopefully to, to fill some of those empty seats, but, uh, uh, specifically, I think, you know, to make sure again, that, that people do get the opportunity to experience that, um, you know, you mentioned you have a number of different partners that you work with, um, any you want to highlight in particular? Yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from the beginning, Nutmeg, Nutmeg Big Brothers Big Sisters has been, you know, one of our original partners and has been one of our consistent partners throughout this. And we've got some really good feedback from them because it's such a unique experience um, for, for a big and a little to rally around a UConn sporting event. Um, you know, we've heard some great stories from bigs and littles having trouble making that connection at first and then they've been able to go to UConn games and they've talked about things like aspirations for college and and it's really opening how beneficial it is for some of these kids who have never been to a college athletic event before especially a UConn event and then kind of seeing how it all works and how passionate our fan base is and it's it's inspirational for them and it's obviously very inspirational for us for hearing stories like this. So they've been a, a huge partner from us from the beginning. Um, Ryan Matthews, who has kind of been a mentor to us and he's very, he's very uh, well known in the Yukon community, but he, uh, he was involved in Nutmeg Big Brothers Big Sisters and um, he, he got us connected there and, and we've been forever, forever grateful for him. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And so um, you mentioned football, um, do you guys, you guys do it for, uh, other sports? So, so far in the two and a half years, we've been doing it, uh, football and men's and women's basketball, um, have been our, 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 our where we are jumping off point. Obviously, if there's going to be some fans this spring, we'd love to get some fans out to, to the new baseball stadium, yeah. um, to help christen that a little bit, but, um, We'll see what happens with the spring, but we would love to be able to, to kind of send some kids to baseball games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, lots of potential there with the new, um, with the new space and uh, maybe even with soccer in the fall when they, they open a new, they'll be playing in a new, new digs as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, you know, obviously this Absolutely. season we had um, football get canceled. We had no fans for men's and women's basketball. So um, there goes kind of a, a key facet of your, uh, of, of what you guys do. So how did you adapt to those circumstances? Yeah, we were, we were kind of dumbfounded on what we could do this year for a while there. We weren't sure how we could stay prevalent and become, you know, take, continue to grow our organization. Um, but then we, when UConn offered the cardboard cutout uh, opportunity, we, we thought it was a no brainer that we, you know, obviously we'd love to get kids to games, but uh, you know, it's not safe and they're not having fans. So we, we worked with the athletic department. Uh, we just purchased over close to a hundred cardboard cutouts of, of, uh, of some kiddos for, from Kennelly school in Hartford and also from Mansfield youth services. And so yesterday was the first game that they were in attendance yesterday. We had section 101, uh, the Husky ticket project section completely filled with, with some really cool cutouts of the kids. Uh, and they looked great in their their Yukon colors and their Yukon gear. So um, that was really exciting for us. And I don't want to say it was the reason the Yukon women almost won by 50 points, but I'm not going to say it wasn't the reason. <laughs> couldn't have hurt. Couldn't have hurt. Well, uh, you know, I think that's great. It's awesome that you guys found a way to make it possible, uh, you know, and and I mean, obviously it's different than the experience of going to a game itself, but 
Um, I'd imagine people are still really excited by the idea of, you know, during these times, they're represented in the cardboard cutouts out there. Is that has that been the case? Yeah, and it's it's some, it's almost like an Easter egg for them to look for themselves on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're getting photos of each of the cutouts, so we can we can share them back with the kids. But um, you know, if they're watching the game and they the camera pans to them and they can see themselves, that's just an added bonus and um, something they can look forward to for the whole season because the, the cutouts will be there for every men's and women's game uh, throughout this this season. So it's very cool. Awesome. So um, you know, how how can people go about making donations if they're interested? Yeah, so we're we're always looking for for donations um, and and new partners too. So if anyone ever has an, a suggestion on who we can partner with, a good organization that we can start sending some kids to games, we're always looking for that. Uh, if they want to donate, they can go to our website www.huskyticketproject.com. Uh, we actually just announced that we are on Amazon Smile, and for those who don't know what Amazon Smile is, it's uh, it's Amazon, uh, you just go to the URL, Amazon Smile, and it's mostly the same interface. All you have to do is set Husky Ticket Project in the dropdown as your default charity. And every purchase that you make on Amazon, a portion of that will go to us. And that that's a super easy, simple way for us to kind of continue to raise money. And it's a win-win for, for everyone involved. So if people can do that, we'd be forever appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also looking to do a couple more fundraisers. Last year, we had our first fundraiser before the uh, Memphis game in Hartford. We did it um, with about 100 people. We raised a lot of money and we did it in partnership with the Suzy Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we're hoping to uh, have our first ever golf outing, which more information will come out about that when we kind of nail some, down some of the details. And then look for us next fall. We're going to have a big tailgate at the rent, maybe nice. before the Purdue game. Um, and, you know, look for more details on that as well. But um, that's great. Yep. Always looking for partners. So send them our way. That, that's awesome. We are, um, I, I can say myself, I'm, I'm really excited to go back to a tailgate at the rent at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for our listeners, I cannot emphasize enough how, how simple Amazon smile is, uh, you pretty much automatically get sent there once you sign up for it. It's it's free. It doesn't cost you anything additional to do. And you know, every year you end up just uh, being the reason that that the company donates a chunk of money to to a nonprofit. And in this case, that nonprofit can now be the Husky Ticket Project. So um, I'm I'm really excited about that for you guys. I, I hope it'll be a big uh, big boon for growth. Yeah. Thank you. I mean. We all know Amazon makes plenty of money, so if they can start sharing that with uh, some good causes, then it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Um, so, what about just overall? You know, from this experience, you've been running it now for about two and a half years. You're, you're, let's talk about normal times, right? You're, you're, you're bringing people to games. I can. I, I'm a very cynical old person now, but I remember being young and just thinking about, uh, you know, the opportunity to go to a game and how amazing that is. Um, what have you learned from this experience over the past few years? Well, number one, we've learned that the UConn fan base is, is it has to be one of the most generous fan bases out there. We, we can't believe the, the support we've received just from the everyday UConn fan. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's just a couple dollars here. It's a couple dollars there, but it, it goes so far. And the photos that we get from some of these organizations at the games, you can see the smile on, on these kids' faces, um, whether it's a, a UConn women's game, um, versus Tennessee, you know, it, an experience like that is so cool for a young one who can't necessarily go to a game like that otherwise. 
Um, you know, we the, on senior day for the men last year at Gample, um, the, the kids are, it's, it's inspiring for them. And it's, it's, it's such a cool thing for us to see. Um, and honestly, it drives us to be, to make this thing bigger and bigger every season. So, um, we'll see how it goes, but so far so good. And, uh, we really like the direction, the way that we're going. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, it's, it's a great organization, a, a tremendous idea. I, I wish you all the best of luck this year and, um, Hope that when we do have live sporting events, you guys uh, continue to explode. So uh, thank you. And um, feel free to, to plug any other donation sites that you need. But if, I think we got we got the bulk of them out there, right? Yes, we did. And thank you so much for having me on. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Husky Ticket Project. And uh, if you ever have any questions or, or you want to talk, feel free to reach out. And thank you again so much. Awesome. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home. Yeah!